whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it to you. And even though her brother had died, she still believed that Jesus had power. And she had unshakable faith that her brother would rise in the resurrection in the last day. She had that hope beyond the grave that one day she would be reunited with Lazarus. Her faith was frustrated. (laughs) And what she had wanted hadn't come to pass. But she still trusted that all would be made right at a later time. But you know what? Jesus was actually asking her a deeper question. He was asking her, do you believe in the impossible? Do you have faith that God can bring dead things back to life? Not just in the future, not just someday far off, not just in the resurrection, but right now. Do you have faith for that? Martha, how much do you really trust me? The Bible tells us that Mary and and Martha had faith in Jesus. You know, they called for him when Lazarus was sick. Why did they do that? They knew that he was a miracle worker. He was was their ticket to this this is, life is not going right, but Jesus can make everything right. So they called him. He was their friend. He'd healed many other sick folk. I'm sure they'd seen many fantastic miracles. He'd healed Peter's mother-in-law. It wasn't a strange idea to them to think that Jesus would come quickly, that he would come and heal this friend that he loved so much, so dearly. Yet what happened? Lazarus grew sicker and sicker, and still Jesus didn't come. I, I feel like hope just died a little more every hour as Lazarus's pain grew stronger and his body grew weaker. I can't even imagine the despair that his sisters felt watching him take his last breath and then that unthinkable realization washes over him. (laughs) Their brother, their only brother is gone. Where was Jesus? Why hadn't he come? Had something happened to him? Or, you know, if he couldn't come, he had the power. Why didn't he just heal Jesus from a, uh, Lazarus? I'll get the name right. Why didn't he heal Lazarus from a distance as he did for the centurion servant? Jesus could have done that, but he didn't. You know, and sometimes we ask those same questions today in our pain and our suffering. Where is Jesus? <laughs> Doesn't he know that I'm hurting? Hasn't he received my message? <laughs> I prayed, I called for him. Where is he? Why doesn't he heal me? Why doesn't he deliver me from these circumstances that feel like death? (laughs) We've all been there, haven't we? And if you haven't, you will. (laughs) It won't be too long and you'll feel that way. (laughs) It's going to happen because we're human. (laughs) And, And that's the point. Because Jesus is the only one who can do these things. We have to trust in him. That's, that's the whole reason. But you know what? Even in this most terrible of times, Martha and Mary still had faith in Jesus. When they saw him for the first time after their brother had died and he'd been buried, they both said the same thing. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even though they didn't understand and in the midst of their bewilderment, they were still declaring that Jesus had the ability to make everything right, even if he hadn't done it in their situation. Now, if it was me, I'm really not sure how I would have reacted in their place. (laughs) Have you ever thought about it? I mean, really thought about it. Maybe I would have been angry 
with this man who claimed to be my friend, and yet he deliberately delayed his coming. He didn't even make it for the funeral. Really, what kind of a friend is that that misses a funeral of someone he apparently loves? You know, given the urgent request for a miracle worker and his closeness to the family, it actually would even have been culturally offensive for Jesus not to come. (laughs) So on top of that, on top of the sadness, this is offensive. He's offended me. He should have been here. This is wrong. It's socially unacceptable for him not to be here, not to drop everything and come straight away. Who knows, maybe I would have refused to see him because he wasn't there for me in my hour of need. Maybe I would have rejected him. He seemed to reject me. Would I have clung to him and cried, pouring out my grief in a torrent that couldn't be stopped, yearning for what never again could be? We don't know how we react in these situations. It's easy to read the story because we see how it ends. (laughs) They weren't at the end of the story. They were right in the middle. You know... I honestly don't think I could have trustingly said, like Martha, I believe you are the Messiah. And I believe that my brother will be raised in the last day. (laughs) I don't know that I would have had that much faith. Now, we saw it in the little clip there, but um, Jesus' conversation with his disciples reveals that the purpose of his delay was twofold. The first reason that he didn't come straight away was he wanted to reveal his glory as the one who had authority over life and death. What better object lesson could there be? (laughs) And his other, his second reason, was to instruct and to develop faith in his disciples. And that included Martha and Mary, (laughs) not just his 12 disciples, but he was having them come to an understanding of something deeper and something greater. And it was an understanding they couldn't have got without going through that situation. Now, even if Jesus had come as soon as he received that message, well, it would have taken some time for the message to get to him. They didn't have cell phones back then. So (laughs) uh, they didn't have cars. So there would have been a messenger who would have had to be sent. So it would have taken time for the message to get to Jesus and then time for Jesus to travel to Bethany. I mean, even if he had come as soon as he received that message, it's likely that he would have been dead already. It's almost certain. So if this is the case, why did Jesus delay coming for two more days? How does that even make sense? I'll tell you something you may not know that I found super interesting. But back in the first century, they didn't have morgues like we do. They didn't have refrigeration. So they had to bury bodies the same day that they died. (laughs) Otherwise, sickness would result bad smell, not pleasant. So there was a Jewish tradition at that time, and this Jewish tradition holds that the soul hovered near the body for three days after the burial, but left after that. So the general belief was that the spirit of the deceased hovered around the body for three days in anticipation of some possible means of re-entry into the body. But on the third day, it was believed that the body lost its color and the spirit was then locked out. Therefore, the spirit was obliged to enter the chambers of Sheol, the place of the dead. So there was a reason that Jesus couldn't come straight away. In order for God to be truly glorified for this miracle, Lazarus had to be really and truly dead. (laughs) There had to be absolutely no hope that he was coming back. People couldn't say, oh, it's because, you know, the spirit was hovering and, you know, it kind of came back. No, 
He was dead. He was buried. There was no hope left. There was no mistaking the fact that no earthly hope remained of a resurrection. But there was a resurrection. And the only way this could happen was through the one who himself was the resurrection and the life. So Martha and Mary's faith was frustrated. I have been there so many times. So frustrated. God, what's going on? They had trusted. They had called for help. They had done everything they could. You know what? It wasn't enough. That's a hard place to be in. Lazarus was dead. He was buried in a tomb. Their future was uncertain. We don't know if these women were married. The Bible doesn't tell us. But in those days... Um, unmarried women were taken into the houses of their brothers to look after them because women couldn't, you know, own property or um, have their own places. So if this is their only brother and they're not married, what happens to them? Where do they go? <laughs> this, is, this is a scary future they're facing. It's not just, oh, you know, Lazarus died. No, this is their, their entire lives are possibly over that they know. Their future was uncertain and they were in pain and they had no way of knowing what those next few hours would bring. They just assumed it'd be more of the same, more mourning, more grieving, more, Lord help me, what do I do? (laughs) So we're going to pick the story back up in John 11 and 35. So if you'd like to turn there, I also have it on um, a PowerPoint. So picking this story back, John 11, 35, as Mary and Martha take Jesus to the tomb where Lazarus is buried. good start, isn't it? Jesus wept. (laughs) Jesus wept. He felt emotion. He felt their pain. He was there with them. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? (laughs) They all knew Jesus could have done it. He didn't. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, came to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he's been dead four days. She's always practical. I like Martha. (laughs) I don't think I want to smell dead body. Um, But Jesus said unto her, Didn't I say unto you, that if you would believe, then you should see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that you hear me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had spoken, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Sorry, just waking you up there, Cass. <laughs> she jumped. I'm sorry, she wasn't sleeping. <laughs> just pick on you there. <laughs> uh, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Uh, you know what? Sometimes our miracle stinks. We would rather that God had showed up earlier. (laughs) So we didn't have to go through all that pain and suffering. 
If he knew what we were going to go through, why didn't he stop it? You know, I, I don't know if anyone's ever thought about it from Lazarus's point of view. <laughs> Consider it. While his sisters grieved his passing, he was the one who ultimately had to face the horrors of death all alone. He was the one who drew his, well, what he thought was his last breath here on earth. He may even have believed that he'd been abandoned by Jesus. He hadn't shown up. You know, I'm pretty sure Lazarus would have preferred for Jesus to arrive in the nick of time and immediately heal him. Wow, wouldn't that be great? What an amazing testimony. How awesome. But you know, there's one thing that we often forget, because <laughs> none of us likes pain. But what we often forget is that we were actually created for God's glory. We weren't created just for ourselves. We weren't created just to have a good life and for Jesus to do everything that we want for us. We would like it to be that way, but it's not. That's not what we were created for. And so while God would have received some glory for Lazarus's healing, that was absolutely nothing compared to the glory that he received from raising him from the dead. So because Lazarus went through that, God was glorified in such an amazing way. When Lazarus was brought back from the dead, it confirmed Jesus' authority to give life and to resurrect the dead. Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, I can come back to life. He was going, I can prove this. I can show you this is going to happen. You can trust me. You can have faith in me. It proved his claim in John eleven twenty five that he was the resurrection and the life. In raising Lazarus, Jesus was demonstrating the validity of his own claim that he would rise again and that he had the power and the authority to do so. We often claim that we want God to be glorified in our lives. <laughs> but what we fail to understand is that sometimes this can best be done in the midst of trial and persecution. If you can uh, skip to the next slide, I think. Yes, okay. First Peter 4 and 9 says this, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Hang on. Did I read that right? <laughs> really? Suffer according to the will of God? God wants me to suffer? Hmm, that's not what I signed up for. <laughs> Just being honest, that's not why I came into the church. <laughs> I want to suffer. But you know what? Sometimes God brings pain so that our faith will be tested. And the way that we react in adverse circumstances is a witness to everybody around us. God knows what we can handle. I think there's a next slide there. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, God is faithful who will not suffer. Sorry, I don't have it on there. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. That's an amazing thing when you think about it. He's not going to allow us to go through more than we can handle. So whatever you're going through now, he knows you can handle it. But you can't handle it in your own strength. You can only handle it by trusting in him. He wants you to make it through the test. He hasn't put you through these circumstances because he wants you to fail. <laughs> That's not who my God is. But he wants you to trust in him, to know that 
so you can understand that he's with you in every circumstance, every situation. And there are many times when our faith is frustrated. We can feel like we lack faith when God doesn't answer our prayers or he doesn't seem to be working in our lives. And we get so frustrated and we begin to wonder, do I even have faith? <laughs> What's going on? You know, I, I, I thought I, I used to be able to trust God for everything and now I find it seems so hard and maybe I don't have faith. No. <laughs> when we begin to become critical of ourselves and our walk with God, we can start to think that it's just all in vain. I don't have enough faith. I don't have what it takes. I'm leaving. But no. In these times of doubt, I can tell you how to have faith. You want to know how? You can have faith by just being faithful. Just keeping coming. Come to church. Keep praying. Keep reading the word. Keep doing what you know is right. That, that is showing faith. It's being obedient to God's word. And even if you don't feel it, <laughs> because we don't live by our feelings, that's if, if we did, well, then we wouldn't be here, would we? <laughs> but God is faithful to us. And that's what he's calling us to do. Have faith, trust him, and do what we know to do. So, um, excuse me. We demonstrate our faith by choosing to trust when hope seems lost, when grief moves in, and when our future seems doubtful. You know what? God can do a miracle even when it seems way past the time for miracles. <laughs> Mary and Martha no longer believed that their brother would live again on earth. They thought that was done. He's dead. <laughs> this has never happened before, you know. No one comes back from the dead. They had faith for the past that Jesus could have healed their brother if he'd been there. And they had faith for the future, the hope that they'd be reunited with their brother at the resurrection of the dead at the end time. But they found it difficult to believe that God could work in the here and now. But you know what? Jesus completely overturned their expectations. It wasn't their incredible faith that caused Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. <laughs> you know what? It was their faithfulness in simply continuing to believe in the one who could but didn't. That's a hard place. And we know there's a place prepared for us one day, a place where all sorrow and crying and pain will cease. And I am looking forward to that place just as much as everybody here. <laughs> and it's right. It's right to look for that city. It's right to place our hope in what we can't see. Um, Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 tells us, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So faith pleases God. And being willing to trust in a God that we don't understand, it's vital. It's even a normal part of our Christian life. It's, it's supposed to be normal. It's supposed to be what we do because he is God and we are not. He is perfect. We are imperfect. We don't see the big picture. But what we sometimes fail to realize is that God doesn't just have eternal life for us one day in the future, someday far off, you know, <laughs> sweet by and by, all of those platitudes. He has abundant life for us today. Mary and Martha had given up hope of receiving a miracle in this life. Give it four days. 
their brother was raised back. In four short days later, they were throwing their arms around their loved one who had died and had been brought back to life. This is amazing. This is mind-blowing. Who could even have anticipated that? And I wanted to share a story with you. Um, If you go to the next slide. This man is Brother Daniel Seagraves. He's one of my professors over at the school in the States that I went to. He's written many books, and this is from a book of his. Um, I think it's called um, Where is God When I'm Hurting? And he says this, While God knows and honors our need to mourn, he also hopes we will turn to him in our suffering so that he can comfort us. He hopes we will know that this life is not all there is, that our faith in a brilliant glory to come will help us to know that our present darkness will not prevail. I want to tell you a little story about that man. That lady standing next to him is his wife, but it's not his first wife. (laughs) He was married for, um, hmm, I'm not sure, I didn't write that down, a long, long time. (laughs) He's in his mid-60s now, I believe, and um, his wife passed away in 2009. So, and they, they were both at Bible college together and got married when he was like 18 or 19. So they were together for a long time. And his wife, Judy, was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. She had inflammatory breast cancer. She was diagnosed in 2009 and she passed away in 2011. Oh, here we go, leaving behind her husband of 46 years. So they'd been together a long time. And I wasn't at the school to see this happen, but um, people who had been there, he's such a sweet man, so sweet. And they said the pain that he went through, like it was painful watching him grieve. And it was hard to see. And he was devastated as anyone would be. And I I guess maybe he'd given up, this is it, my wife has died, what do I do now? So it it was terrible, he thought it was over. That's it, my life's finished, my wife's dead. (laughs) What do I have left? Um, But there was a lady that he knew, uh, they were actually, he and his wife were friends with the man and his wife. And this was a lady whose husband had died in 2008. So she was also a widow. And they knew each other, but never thought anything of it. And I, I just, I want to read, it's, it's kind of a funny story. So I found um, an article that was written, interestingly enough, in a, they bought a home. So it was on some St. Louis Post dispatch that was actually advertising the home people that they went through. But <laughs> this is their story here. It says, you don't have to be around Daniel and Susan Seagraves long to notice they never seem to stop holding hands. They gaze at one another with the admiration of typical newlyweds, though their love story is anything but. Fate stepped in, not fate, (laughs) we know God stepped in, when Daniel, a professor, sat down to compose an article he'd been asked to write for a magazine. While writing, his mind focused not on the article, but rather on finding a date for the concert he was planning to attend in the coming days. So Daniel did the only thing he knew to do. He prayed. And just an hour and a half later, Daniel opened his email account to see Susan's name at the top of his inbox. Now, what they don't tell you in this story is that um, one of the students at UGST had um, sent out an email to a whole bunch of people, I think, with a prayer request. And um, this lady, Sister Susan, had, instead of hitting reply to him, had hit reply all. (laughs) 
<laughs> so every single person on that list got her email, including Brother Seagraves. And he had just prayed, who can I invite to this concert? You know, I really want to go to it. I have no one to go with, Lord, you know. <laughs> Suddenly there's this email with her name at the top and he'd known her from previously. It's like, okay. So going on with the story, it says, um, he worked up the courage to send her a message. That following Saturday evening, the pair attended a concert and enjoyed the evening a great deal. The two began text messaging each other. It was sort of like passing notes, Brother Seagrace joked. It was a lot of fun. Susan describes the whirlwind romance that follows. We went out every day, she said. Nine days and nine dates later, he proposed to her. <laughs> How's that for quick? <laughs> she said, yes, I had no hesitation, she said. Others take comfort in the Seagrave story. We've given a lot of people hope, Sister Seagraves remarked. We were both grieving. We had both lost our spouses. We both would have been married to our spouses for the rest of our lives. But we found a new love, a great love. It is wonderful, and now we have a new home and a new beginning. And he remarried her in September of 2013. And it was a really good year because I was taking classes with him and he was in, you know, I'm getting married. So like he hardly marked us at all. <laughs> it was just like, you're all good. You can all have A's, you know, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> but it was really nice times. So. But it was so sweet to see him and to see that new hope and that new life that was unfolding. When his wife passed away two years before that, he could never have imagined that that's what his future would hold. So, Cass, if you can come and play, please. Um, I'd just like to ask everyone to stand, and I have some questions for you. What situations in your life have you given up on? What circumstances have you been through that you feel like God cannot redeem? Are there dreams that you once cherished and looked forward to that have just died? You know, you could be in a waiting period, unable to see the end of the story. We love to read Romans 8, 28, which says all things work together for good, but it doesn't say that all things are good. Sometimes we go through things we don't want to go through. We may never receive what we want in this life. I think about John the Baptist, who believed in Jesus. Did he get his life back? No, he was beheaded. We go, what? We don't understand. Why did this happen? We don't always get what we want. We may always bear the scars of past hurts or the consequences of someone else's wicked actions. But we also know that God can heal. He can redeem. He can breathe life into even the most dead situation you can ever imagine. Mary and Martha, like Job, they didn't see the end of the story. They had to live through the pain and the suffering. They had no promise that joy would ever return. But their faithfulness is an encouragement to us. It reminds us to keep worshipping, even in the face of death, to keep believing when all hope seems lost. And their story reveals to us the God who can and who sometimes will. And in life, we can't choose our circumstances, but we can choose how to respond. Faith isn't a strong belief that makes everything all right. Faith is choosing to believe in a God who loves us, 
even when we don't understand why he allows pain and suffering in our lives, even when we don't know how our story is going to turn out, Jesus claimed it's still true. He is still the resurrection and the life. And because of his death and his resurrection, we have hope that he can bring good out of the ashes of our lives. We can trust him with our future. So tonight, I want to ask you the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? Do you really believe this? We're going to sing a song in a moment, and and you'll have the opportunity. You can come to the front of the church. You can put your trust in God once again. You know, if you once had faith that God could provide in the past, that's all you need to get your miracle today. That's all you need. Who knows if God is just waiting for you to take that first step towards him so that he can bring hope and healing into your life for his glory. I'm here to declare to you, your life is not over and your future is not past. And you may not, you may not receive your miracle in this life. We're not guaranteed that. But we are guaranteed that God is able to provide every one of our needs and that he is faithful in every situation, that he will never leave us and never forsake us if we just put our trust in him. If you just want to dedicate your life to God again, if you need a miracle in your life, please come. God is here and he's waiting.